seated. Good evening to everyone. And uh, just want to make sure as we turn now to uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, Sunday nights through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. And I want to make sure that those of you who are outside in the courtyard, that uh, you are aware of the fact, if you're visiting us, that the uh, auditorium and the children's auditorium is open, it is air-conditioned, the service is being streamed in there as kind of a cool-off zone for people, and uh, you can uh, go in there for a few minutes to refresh or uh, go in there for the remainder of the service. The Portables 301-302 is the same uh, story. For those of you who don't live in Modesto, we've got a really warm uh, day today. Uh, cracked the uh, windshield of my car during the morning services, so I don't know what it's doing to my car, probably melting into the asphalt uh, during the evening service, but uh, be aware of that. So we pick things up. Uh, this week in, uh, in Luke, we pick things up in verse uh, 38, and we remember that Jesus is uh, ministering, and he has uh, left Nazareth after their rejection of him, made Capernaum the center of his uh, public ministry for the three and a half years of that public ministry. He went in, we're told, into the synagogue there, and uh, there was a demon-possessed man. Uh, Jesus taught wonderfully from, uh, from that, uh, the, there as he was allowed to teach. And then he delivered the man of his demonic spirit. Ah, but it was on the Sabbath day. And so uh, despite any kind of complaining related to that, uh, the congregation there at the synagogue was thrilled. Now, if uh, those of you who have been to Israel and been to uh, the city of Capernaum. It's a ruin now. It's not a city. And uh, one of the sites that we go to is the actual, um, the actual synagogue in which uh, Jesus did this miracle. A later synagogue was built upon uh, the stone, the original stone, which is the lower level. You can still see that constituted the foundation for uh, that synagogue that Jesus performed the miracle in. Because it is the Sabbath day, uh, the Jews were limited, and Jesus uh, kept the law of Moses in order to fulfill it. Uh, they had a, a, a limited amount of distance that they could travel on, on a Sabbath day. And so he was invited by uh, Peter to come to uh, his house for lunch following the services that day, and Jesus made his way to Peter's house. And um, you might remember, those of you who have been to Capernaum, uh, I think it's the Roman Catholic Church has built kind of a great monument over the location or what they estimate to be the location of Peter's house there and uh, the ruins of Capernaum. And uh, it is far less than a Sabbath day's journey. I mean, it isn't even a stone's throw away uh, from uh, the synagogue. And so this sets the tone for uh, the event. And so uh, we uh, read in verse 38, when he, that is Jesus, arose from the synagogue, he entered into Simon's house, but Simon's uh, wife's mother, Simon's uh, mother-in-law, this is another uh, problem for Roman Catholicism because if Peter is the first pope, uh, then the first pope was married and the first pope uh, had a mother-in-law. So. Um, that's a doctrine that has created nothing but problems uh, for Roman Catholicism because it's not demanded by the Scriptures. But here we see 
uh, even its, at its foundation, the air of it. I don't necessarily say these things to poke uh, Roman Catholics in the eye or anything like that. I never want to do that r- related to a, uh, a, a Roman Catholic. But I do want to, as we go through the Scriptures, point out these kind of things so a person can be aware of them and then be, uh, begin to investigate and make the Bible the authority for what we believe and what we practice. And so, uh, there she is, in, uh, and uh, uh, his mother-in-law was sick with a high fever, and so uh, they made request of him concerning her. And here we see intercession. His mother-in-law did not come to Jesus. She was sick and asked for forgiveness, but those uh, others came to Jesus interceding on her behalf that he would rise up and heal her of her disease that that involved this uh, fever. And so he stood over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and served them. So as an indication of how uh, complete the healing was, how great Jesus' power is in the face of Uh, any and all diseases in the face of this fever. She was restored immediately to perfect health. And typically when we get over flu or a long fever or something like that, it takes us two or three days to get our full strength back. She received it back immediately and uh, used her recovered condition, her healed condition now, uh, to do what she was obviously longing to do, though she was uh, laid up in bed by virtue of the fever, and that was to serve Jesus, to serve the guests that were there uh, in the house. And so, so she uh, does that. I'm always touched in this particular passage in talking about and looking at here this, um, uh, the fact that uh, Jesus dealt with something as uh, elementary as a, a fever. And so often, I, sometimes, I, I've known it through the years where Christians will say, well, I'm not going to, uh, you know, pray to him about that. It's just a cold, or it's just a flu, or it's just this or that. And uh, you, you bring those, you bring the big kind of needs, you know, major health issues to the Lord, um, in, uh, and not these smaller things. But the Bible does teach that we're to cast all of our cares, and all is a big word, it's all-inclusive, but cast all of our cares on him, knowing that he cares for us. And so he's as eager to answer a prayer related to a fever as anything else. And uh, James writes in his epistle and says that oftentimes we have not because we ask not. If we never ask God for healing or ask him to address what we think are smaller areas of our life, then we'll never know what he might do in that situation. And uh, he might just heal us, or he might just change those circumstances. But we'll never know until we pray, or somebody prays related uh, to that. And so sometimes we can pray for healing, and then uh, God may not heal us at that moment. And, uh, but it wasn't a vain activity, because then we realize, all right, the fact that I'm not healed is not because I didn't pray to him, but because he has another form of his grace in mind uh, to apply to my life and to my situation. It's a beautiful, beautiful little snippet here uh, in that uh, home there in Capernaum, as uh, Luke puts it before us. And so uh, it, we're told in verse 40, when the sun was setting, and so this was bringing the end of the Sabbath day, the Sabbath day ended at sundown for the Jews, 
And uh, now they had freedom to move uh, lawfully in light of the law of Moses. And so, uh, knowing that Jesus was in the city, he was in the house, uh, Peter's house, and as you might imagine, all those who had anyone that they knew that were sick with various diseases, they brought them to him, uh, and uh, uh, he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. So just a tremendous, uh, get everybody that you know that has any ailment that you love and get them somehow hobbling or whatever it takes to get them to Jesus and Jesus healed in this particular circumstance everyone that was brought to him and he laid his hands uh, upon. Not only related to physical healing, but also spiritual healing and, and demon possession. The demons also came out of many as they, they came forth or were brought forth by others to come into contact with Jesus. Jesus cast the demons uh, out of them, crying out, and, and as the demons came out, they cried out saying, you are the Christ, the Son of God. You are the Christ, that is, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God. It is the acknowledgement of Jesus' deity, that he is uh, he is divine. It's interesting that uh, the demons have a better understanding of uh, Jesus and a more accurate understanding of Jesus than most people within uh, our culture. And this is what they were confessing uh, concerning him. And he rebuked them and did not allow them to speak for they knew that he uh, was the Christ. And so this tremendous, I mean, the sun goes down and uh, a flurry of activity. And, and you have to remember in those days, I mean, there are no street lights, there's no lights in homes, there's these little lanterns that would be put on, so it's uh, whatever, whatever the moon is supplying in terms of light, and people are just filling uh, every uh, alleyway, everything that led to this house. Such a beautiful, uh, uh, dynamic picture of of what happened this uh, uh, that evening, and to be imagine, uh, we can all easily imagine and uh, marvel at what it would be to be healed physically of a disease. How wonderful uh, the 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 feeling would be of having that lifted off of our bodies. But imagine being demon possessed, and for me. I would, I, I would only have to imagine because I've never been demon-possessed. And uh, the, the horror of such a life, I mean, the darkness of such a life and to have uh, in, in one evening so many delivered uh, of demonic spirits. And so uh, then uh, when it was day, here we have the sunrise of the very next day uh, that Jesus himself, he departed out of Capernaum. Uh, he went into a deserted place, a place where he could be alone. And uh, the crowd then uh, sought him and they found him. They came to him in his privacy and they tried to keep him from leaving them. Stay in Capernaum. Don't, don't leave. We're so excited about what it is that you're doing and uh, we don't want you to leave. A very different reaction than what Jesus had received in uh, Nazareth in his hometown. And you can imagine uh, how uh, reluctantly any leaders or population of a city after a night like that would to be to have Jesus leave that city and, and go someplace else. 
But Jesus responded to them and he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also because for this purpose uh, I have been uh, sent. And then he was, uh, and he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. So he left Capernaum and he continued to preach then into various cities uh, of, of the area of Galilee because as he informed them, this is what he had come into the world in order to do, to preach the gospel, the good news of salvation that uh, is found uh, in, in him. So you think about in, in verses uh, 42 to 44, the uh, excitement of the night before, the, uh, the trauma of it. I mean, it'd be a night that nobody would forget that for the rest of their lives. And uh, you would expect that everybody would sleep in that, uh, that morning and in uh, all of the afterglow of it, perhaps. And uh, you would think that logically that Jesus would look and say, wow, this is uh, pretty momentous uh, uh, events that occurred here. I'm going to uh, carry on with this momentum and uh, not leave Capernaum. We'll set this up as a healing and deliverance ministry place and people will come to us. But Jesus uh, didn't do that. Um, He went to prayer in the morning And out of the prayer that he had with the Father, uh, he received the instruction now to uh, move out into the other cities in the Galilee and to begin to preach the gospel uh, to them. And so uh, that's what he did. So it's fascinating to me that in these three verses, 42, 43, and 44, that those, those verses are there for a reason. And, and we can look at the night before or the day before, the, the deliverance in the uh, synagogue, the healing of Peter's uh, mother-in-law, the incredible events of that evening after sundown, and just think that uh, every day was exactly uh, like that, that all Jesus did is, in, the, in the disciples is just put things into automatic pilot and, uh, and, and then did this day after day. And yet, the Holy Spirit wants us to know the secret behind all of the supernatural and the marvelous and the wonderful and the glorious uh, of that uh, day before in Capernaum. And, and what was behind all of it was Jesus meeting with His Father and then receiving instruction from him in order for what he ought to do the very next day. That's the whole ministry. Sometimes we, um, I remember reading a book on ministry. Uh, I got an advanced copy as a pastor. This has been lots of years ago. And, uh, And I began to read it and wow, it was really how to uh, build a church and, and how to organize it and how to structure it and, and to have your one-year plan and your two-year plan and your five-year plan and, and here's where it uh, ends up. And I, uh, I read it all the way through because I wanted to finish the book, but I, it about uh, a third of the way through the book, I just said to myself, and I prayed to the Lord, I said, Lord, if this is what... Uh, ministry is as a pastor, then I will never ever make it 
because I'm not an administrator. I'm not someone who pumps people up and gets them behind a program and gets them behind an idea. Lord, that's your job to work in your people. I can be faithful to what you've called me to, to do. And so often there are the, the one-year, the two, the five-year plans that get put together in our collective kind of wisdom for how to build a church in the United States of America in 2020. And we put all of our collective wisdom together, all of the demographics, all of our shared life experience together, and we come up with this uh, vision statement or, or whatever it might be. And the reason that those things uh, are... Uh, 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 are, can be so prominent uh, as a, a ministry model in the United States is that they work. They work uh, to a certain degree. And, uh, and, and so you can build a church uh, by that, that means. But here we see Jesus taking and I think modeling for us, he had the big picture of what he'd come into the world to do, and that was to preach the gospel to the world. But now, what is he going to do uh, day in and day out? And he received that instruction from the Father day in and day out. I prefer a much more uh, supernatural uh, 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 look at ministry. And, and that is that the body of Christ, God didn't save us so that we would develop all of these plans, advance the kingdom of God on the basis of our talent or on the basis uh, of our wisdom or, or our plans, but that uh, the intention is, is that every single day, uh, tens of millions, or I don't know how many Christians there are in the world, that we would wake up every single morning we would turn our heart toward God. We know you've given us a great, uh, a great commission. And now, Lord, what do you want me to do uh, today? And I trust you now to lead me and to guide me uh, in that. And that's, what, that's how the body is connected to the head in that way. And so it's much more organic than it is organized. And then we trust the Holy Spirit to lead each of us and then what happens then uh, through that, uh, then God gets all of the glory for it because there's no explanation of a structure and a plan and this and that in terms of we were aiming for this and then we accomplished it. Um, we know that God did it. We know that he lead it, led us. And then, uh, and, and so it's, it's a, a, the, the beautiful model for ministry that we see um, in the scriptures. It's not a, not a problem to plan, but that planning has to be uh, directed by the Lord, and it has to be from, from Him, and it must never violate this uh, uh, keeping me in a place of dependence upon Him on a daily basis for His strength and for His leading. There's a great booklet that uh, was written many years ago Probably most of us have already read it, but if you've never read it, you must go online and find it somewhere and, uh, or find a copy of it and read it. And the booklet is just simply called The Tyranny of the Urgent. And uh, the kind of the thrust of tyranny of the urgent uh, is that if we are not aware of and stay conscious to the truth of this, that what is truly important in life will always be pushed to the side by what is urgent in life. 
and what is important in life and what is urgent in life, those are two entirely different things. Uh, A situation may be very urgent and very unimportant. And, uh, And so, not having these, having a, a, a differentiating between the two. So this crowd comes from Capernaum. They come to Jesus. They're full of urgency. Don't leave. We need you. Stay here. And Jesus did not make his decision in life based upon the urgency uh, uh, of what was going on in other people's lives or urgentness of the situation, but based upon what was important. And what is most important for us is to hear God's voice and then do what he has called us uh, to do. And, uh, and, and that's a, a great lesson in our walk with the Lord, in our, uh, whatever our service to the Lord is, as, a, as a parents, wherever God calls us to work and to be a light for Him, or whatever, that uh, don't, uh, the, the, to be careful that the important is not crowded out uh, by, uh, by the urgent. There's an old saying, some of you will be familiar with it, but it's so true in this regard, uh, that, and it goes like this. Uh, these, these allergies, and I think I'm allergic to heat, actually. That's what my problem is. So, but the, the quote is this, uh, the enemy of great is not bad. The enemy of great is good. And so often, uh, the greatest danger to accomplishing Uh, The great things that God wants to accomplish through our lives is not evil. That's not the sole thing that we have to keep a a guard up for, but in getting involved in all of the good things or all of the urgent things that are around us that then crowd out uh, uh, what is best and and what is uh, great and, and, uh, and God's plans for our lives. One of the things I've always appreciated as a, uh, uh, as a pastor is for Acts chapter 6. And in Acts chapter 6, the church was really growing very, very quickly, and um, the apostles were beginning to get pulled into the distribution for the widows and for the poor in the early church, and, uh, and their, their spiritual responsibilities were suffering as a result of it. And so that was where uh, deacons were uh, instituted in order for them to rise up and give uh, out of their calling a specific focus upon the physical needs of God people so that, as the apostles said, they could continue to give themselves to uh, the ministry of the Word and to prayer. And uh, I, uh, for me as a pastor, I have a little bit of a guilt complex. I'm not a Jewish mother, but I'm pretty close to it. And I want to do everything. I want to meet every kind of urgent need. I feel bad if I don't make every phone call or make every visit or, or whatever it might be. And that passage has really, really helped me not to feel guilty about that, that everyone has their place, their responsibilities, and, uh, and not to feel guilty about uh, giving myself to prayer and the ministry uh, of the Word. And this passage right here, 42, 43, and 44, does the same thing uh, in, uh, in my life. And uh, seeing how Jesus stayed very focused upon uh, His Father's call upon His life, and uh, without any guilt or any pressure or manipulation, 
he, he stayed focused on that. Now, of course, for all of us pastors here, myself too, uh, we'll, we'll drop everything to take care of something that's on fire. But just talking about the, uh, uh, becoming, something becoming normative in, uh, in our lives. And I appreciate you as a church body who has always um, allowed me uh, the time to uh, make prayer in the ministry of the Word uh, a priority uh, in my life as in, in teaching this body. And here we come into uh, chapter 5 and, uh, and a shift of gears. Uh, and so it was as the multitude, Jesus is standing uh, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. There is a multitude of people. Uh, they were pressing about Him to hear the Word of God. Wonderful hunger for the Word. Word of God. Jesus is teaching the Word of God, and He is teaching as one who has authority, and they can't believe the clarity with what they're hearing and the, and the content of what they're hearing, and uh, they're pressing in, pressing in, pressing in to hear, and He's standing uh, until ultimately that pressing is about to push Him right into uh, the Sea of uh, Galilee. It's another beautiful picture. And so when you've got that kind of a scene, and you are uh, kind of on a shore and you're right down by the water. People are kind of teared up in front of you. Your voice isn't going to be able to carry very well. It may carry three rows, five rows or something like that. But the crowd is getting deeper. The crowd is getting wider. And Jesus wants everybody to hear what he has to say. He wants to meet the hunger that we have in our life for the Word of God. And uh, so he saw two boats standing by the lake. And they were idle uh, sitting there uh, because the fishermen had uh, gone out of them. And at this point in the day, they were washing their nets after a, uh, a night of, of fishing. And so then Jesus, this is beautiful, uh, he proceeded to get into one of the boats. And, and, uh, and that boat belonged to Simon, who later we'll know as Simon Peter, one of the apostles. And he asked Peter to put out a little distance from uh, the land, and so they did. Uh, the boat, again, if you've ever been to Israel, but if you haven't, it, you can look at what, it's called the Jesus boat, um, or the ancient boat is what the Jews call it, uh, up in the area of Galilee, a boat that they discovered that had been submerged down into the mud for about 2,000 years, and during a great drought, they were able to excavate it, quite a process involved, so that the wood didn't just disintegrate in their hands. But it was the oldest kind of picture that they had of these kind of boats that the fishermen were using on the Sea of Galilee, and they've preserved it. And it's tremendous to, to, to look at, if, uh, to go online and to see it, and to see kind of the scale of the boat. And uh, so probably uh, here, uh, 20, 30 feet uh, long, and, uh, and, and they uh, scoot out, able to have multiple fishermen with multiple nets and, and be able to take a catch uh, into, uh, into, the, uh, into the ship. And so uh, he, get, he puts out from land probably uh, 10, 20 yards from the land, and now he's got uh, just water in front of him. He can speak in a way that everybody that wants to can hear him uh, clearly. And then we're told he sat down. Again, that's taking the position uh, of a teacher. Now they recognize he's going to continue teaching him. And he taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped 
uh, speaking. And so uh, Jesus taught uh, until he was finished. And that's a, uh, that's a preacher's dream, to just preach until you're finished. And then, uh, but mostly what we're guilty of, Jesus is never guilty of, is we're guilty of preaching long past when we're finished. And we're the last one to have it uh, dawn upon us. But uh, he finished his speaking, and he said to Simon, don't enjoy that too much, by the way, somebody in the room here. Um, and and uh, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and uh, let down your nets, plural, for a catch. Uh, God will be no man's debtor, and uh, so he's going to reward Peter for his obedience here. And uh, Simon Peter, he answered and he said to him, Master, we have toiled all night long fishing in the same lake and we caught uh, nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, we don't know if he rolled his eyes, uh, I will let down the net. Jesus said, uh, lower your nets, plural. Uh, Jesus, uh, Peter is not going to get on uh, board that much. He's going to accommodate Jesus to the degree of, of a single uh, net because he thinks it's a, a, a futile activity that he is uh, about to engage in. So Peter is very, very respectful toward Jesus, but I think he's probably trying to save Jesus from some embarrassment uh, because they had fished all night, they had caught no fish, and now it's the daytime. And uh, Jesus tells him not only to lower uh, his nets, but told him to launch out into the deep, launch out into uh, the deeper middle section of the Sea of Galilee. Well, uh, by, the, by this time, all of the fish in the heat of the day have left the shallow waters and they've gone to the cooler waters uh, or, or they would, uh, the opposite would be true. They would be at the, the, uh, the edge of, of the lake and, uh, and uh, so it was all, just the world's worst kind of fishing uh, 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 counsel that Jesus is uh, calling on uh, him, uh, them to do. And Peter's saying, listen, we fished uh, all night long in exactly the right place to fish. You're calling me to fish in the wrong place to fish at the wrong time, and uh, this isn't going to turn out well. But for your sake, out of respect for you, I'll do it. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, uh, so much so that their net was breaking. That's why he said, nets. And, um, and so they signaled to their partners, James and John in the, other, uh, in, in the other boat. The other boat came out to help them, and uh, they came and filled both of the boats, and still uh, they were, uh, began, uh, were so full that they began to sink. And then when Peter, he looks at all of this, he, uh, he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful uh, man. And that was the reaction of Peter to this miracle. Now, Peter, James, and John, this was not their first contact with Jesus. Uh, they had become aware of him uh, earlier and, and been informed that he was the Messiah. Uh, so this is a subsequent uh, event and, and encounter uh, between uh, all of them. And so uh, Peter here 
takes and this is his response of of, uh, humility uh, there and it represents an apology for uh, counseling uh, Jesus and that's the response uh, that he has. Peter doesn't look at it and click his heels and say, wow, look at how many fish, we're going to make a fortune today. I remember when I worked for the phone company on the line crew and I ran the digger truck at that time And uh, so we went out to a city called Sonoma, just a short distance away from Napa where we were headquartered, and um, uh, to do some work over there. Another big rig, uh, Telsta it was called, uh, was going with us. And uh, we pulled into a Chevron station at the edge of town in in, uh, Sonoma, and we filled these gigantic trucks with uh, gasoline. And the owner of the, the gasoline station came out he was so excited and he he said to us wow i mean you guys i've sold more gas here and you know just to two trucks than the whole day and he said i get to have bacon with my eggs today and uh, so that was his kind of his his excitement uh, on it and you would expect excitement from peter here related to this instead he fell down before jesus depart from me i'm a sinful man O lord what Peter was actually doing in all of this is he, he wasn't confessing uh, his sin nature from Adam and Eve. He wasn't confessing to God some, uh, the existence of some extraordinary evil that was, he was practicing in his life. What he was confessing and repenting of here was the sin of ever thinking that he could know more about, uh, than Jesus about anything in life. Even in his area of expertise as a fisherman. And that's what he's been humbled by, and that's what he's uh, repented of. And so it's like, Lord, I'm not worthy of uh, your presence here. I'm not worthy of your instruction in my life. I'm not worthy of your direction uh, in my life, uh, much less uh, uh, worthy to publicly question your wisdom when you give it to me. Now he prizes it, whatever God would speak into his life and what God would speak in, uh, into your life. And he says, I get it. You're the expert on everything. And even the area in which we, uh, in life, that we know uh, the most. And I, I remember the uh, years ago, I think it was the second sermon that I had ever heard Gail Irwin teach. And he taught... Uh, one sermon on the reluctant uh, at Mount Hermon, the reluctant uh, prophet, something like that, on Jonah. And then he taught a sermon called All Night Fishermen. And he taught from this, uh, this text. And uh, the importance, uh, they had caught nothing all night uh, on their own. Uh, but the fruitfulness of listening to the Lord and listening to Him in our area of expertise so that our lives can be marked by uh, the abundance and uh, supernatural fruit uh, for the Lord. And it's a, it was a great study. It's always a great uh, ministry lesson. Again, when, as we serve the Lord in whatever our capacity is, is that we don't want anyone to leave a church service at Calvary Chapel of Modesto, walk out to their cars and say, yes, what we experienced there was the collective wisdom and expertise 
and uh, uh, life experience of the worship team and of the pastor teaching the Bible. Uh, what kind of glory will God get for that? And uh, what we want is we want people to leave, and only God can do this, to leave and say, uh, what we just experienced there with God uh, cannot be explained by any of the people or all of the people together on that uh, platform. Uh, God did something uh, there today. I met with the Lord. And I'll readily confess, uh, in terms of the importance of this as a ministry lesson, that as the senior pastor, I represent the single greatest danger to this church. If I ever begin to think on the basis of my, the amount of experience that I have or the amount of knowledge that I have, and I begin to think that I'm the expert on all of this and then cease to seek the Lord concerning uh, what it is that He wants to do uh, decision by decision in, uh, in this ministry. And again, what is true of pastors is also true in raising our children and personal relationships with one another, our, our work environments, school environments as we live there uh, for the Lord. Uh, whatever occupation that we occupy, to realize that Jesus knows more about that occupation than you will ever dream. If you are 50 years an accountant, you are 50 years a financial advisor, you are 50 years uh, a, 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 a athletic coach, Jesus knows infinitely more than you uh, about, uh, uh, about what it is that you have become an expert on in, in life and the importance of obeying what he tells us to do in that context and remaining dependent uh, upon him. And that's what happens. Uh, experience and uh, uh, becoming, becoming a little bit full of ourselves in the area that we think we're exp experts of. We stop listening to the Lord and uh, we stop obeying him and seeking his, his will on things. And then the supernatural. Uh, of, uh, of what it is that we're engaged in uh, dries up. And so Peter, he's, he just, uh, just cannot apologize uh, enough. And I think it's good for us, whatever hats we wear in life, to just stop and say, Lord, I haven't sought you on that issue in weeks or months or in years. I'm just coasting on my own expertise and my own uh, experience in this particular field. I acknowledge you know much more than me, and so speak to me if you'd like to. And in, in my life situation here, I want this business, I want uh, this uh, school classroom to be characterized by the supernatural uh, of that. And, uh, and so uh, Peter makes his confession, and then in verse 9, uh, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that he, they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. So somehow what Peter is saying, there's an element of fear and anxiety over uh, what he just did. I mean, he messed up. 
And he's like publicly telling Jesus, you know, this isn't, and okay, you're a carpenter, you're Nazareth, you're pretty far away from the lake, and we're fishermen, and we've grown up here, and this is what we do. And uh, uh, so he's, he's, he's made a mistake, and he's, and he's uh, not excited about it. But the Lord says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. In, in our service to the Lord, uh, God has so much grace toward us. And, uh, and, and we see beautiful grace here. None of us are ever going to be perfect. We're not even going to be remotely perfect in our service to the Lord. And it doesn't mean that He's done with us uh, when we aren't, even in kind of a public gaffe like this. uh, It's just part of our learning curve. Uh, He forgives us. He continues to use us. It makes us love Him uh, more than ever and and move forward in a greater commitment and appreciation uh, for Him. And so when he had, uh, they had brought their boats to land, they forsook uh, everything that they had, and they then followed uh, him. Now, it happened when he was in a, a certain city. We're not told what city, because what is important here is not the city. What is important is the leper, uh, the event that occurs uh, in, in this city. And so uh, it happened when Jesus was in a certain city that behold, uh, a man who was full of leprosy, he saw uh, Jesus. And here is Luke, remember, Luke the physician, and, when, uh, and, and he writes with these kind of medical uh, background, and he talks, he describes the leper to us as being full of leprosy. In other words, this is a, he was a, a man who had a very advanced case of, of leprosy. And so he was full of leprosy. He saw Jesus. And uh, again, it's amazing. And he fell on his face and he implored Jesus, said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, under the law of Moses, and what you had to do as a leper is you always had to remain uh, downwind from healthy people so you wouldn't infect people with the leprosy. If any healthy person even came remotely uh, near you as a leopard, you had a uh, leper, you had to cry out, unclean, unclean, leper, leper, unclean. You had to warn people. And this man knows enough about Jesus that he feels comfortable here uh, to approach him and to ask him for a cleansing from uh, his, his leprosy. And so he, he sensed that Jesus would not push him away, and, uh, and he was right about that. You notice he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. All the way through the New Testament and in the Old Testament, when someone was uh, uh, healed of their leprosy, it's never referred to as a healing. It's always referred to as a cleansing. Uh, leprosy was, all, the, the verbiage is always that it was cleansed. And so he's saying, would you make me clean? And uh, then Jesus put out his hand and he touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. I, I'm personally very thankful for this leper and uh, how he states what he states to Jesus. We probably have all been in this exact same situation 
where we come to Jesus and we say, uh, Lord, I know you can do it, but I don't know if you're willing to do it. I don't know if it is in your uh, will. And we understand what it's like. We understand what it is to come to God in the way that uh, that this leper came to Jesus. And Jesus here, in this situation, he was both able to cleanse him of the leprosy and he was willing uh, to cleanse him uh, of the leprosy. And, uh, and immediately uh, after that, his leprosy uh, uh, left him. Now, leprosy was one of the most dreaded uh, diseases in the ancient world. And uh, lepers, uh, it, 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 because of it, uh, leprosy is, it becomes a type or a picture of sin uh, in, in the Scriptures. And so uh, leprosy was uh, humanly incurable uh, at that time. Sin is humanly incurable. Leprosy uh, led socially, not just the physical consequences, but it led to a life of isolation and uh, uh, from everything that was normal and healthy in life. Sin does the same thing in our lives. In terms of, of emotionally and mentally, uh, leprosy produced a tremendous uh, desperation and hopelessness in the person that was dominated uh, by, uh, by that leprosy. And what is true of all lepers is true of all uh, sinners. And uh, that's why we see here Jesus saying uh, concerning this leper, but saying concerning all sin, I am not only able to cleanse your sin, but I am also willing to cleanse your sin. There is no one that will ever come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and salvation that will ever be turned away. They will discover Jesus uh, is both willing and able to cleanse us from our sin. And so the picture is a beautiful one. He charged the man. Now he is, his full health restored to him. He charged the man and he said, don't tell anyone. Uh, don't spread this abroad. But I do want you to tell a particular group of people. I want you to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, uh, just as Moses uh, commanded. And so he said, go to the priest and, uh, and then offer the gift that the law of Moses uh, required uh, related to uh, the offering of a leper on the day of his cleansing. And uh, this was to be done by this cleansed leper uh, in order to be a testimony to the Jewish religious leaders, to uh, the priests. And the ceremony that describe that's uh, that uh, this uh, ceremony for the leper in the day of his cleansing is described in Leviticus chapter 14, and it in involved uh, uh, two birds, uh, living and clean birds, and uh, uh, the priest would gather them together with, uh, with the leper who'd been cleansed. There would be cedar wood, there would be a, a, a scarlet involved, there would be hyssop involved. All of these things are pictures of, uh, of Calvary and a type of, uh, of Calvary. And so when Jesus said, go and show yourself uh, to the priest 
and, uh, and offer this offering. He's telling them, uh, the man, to do something that would have required the priest to turn to Leviticus chapter 14 in order to know, now how does that ceremony go? Because uh, the, the section of the law of Moses, the law of Moses that dealt with that, uh, that rite or that, that ceremony for the, uh, to be performed on the, the offering to be performed on the day of the leper's uh, cleansing, uh, that was, had been in the law of Moses for 1,500 years. And when you read the Old Testament, there are three people who are cleansed in that entire period in terms of the biblical record uh, of their leprosy. And so here now, Jesus begins to cleanse these lepers all over uh, the land of Israel, and, uh, and this line begins to form of people now showing up at the temple, coming to the priests and saying, I need, I've been cleansed of leprosy by Jesus. I want to offer this offering uh, to the Lord. And here they are now having to search through the law of Moses to find out, now what exactly do we do because nobody has done this uh, for uh, hundreds of years. And you wonder why in the world would God put a, uh, uh, this, uh, this offering within the law of Moses an offering for the cleansing of a leper, uh, an offering for the cleansing of an incurable disease. And why would he make that a part of the law of Moses? Because he knew his son was going to come uh, uh, into human history and he was going to begin to, to uh, cleanse people of their leprosy, even as uh, the Old Testament prophecies declared uh, that he would. And so when all of these lepers began, the cleansed lepers began to show up at the temple, it was uh, God communicating through the Old Testament. Jesus communicating to the hard hearts of these religious leaders, the Messiah is here, the Messiah is here. Uh, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. His claims are uh, true. And so uh, this was what uh, Jesus wanted to, uh, to communicate and have communicated to them. However, even though he charged them not to tell anyone, uh, the report ended up going around concerning him uh, all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed uh, of their uh, infirmities. And so, uh, let's stop there tonight and uh, in, in the heat of the outside area, and uh, we'll pick things up in uh, verse 16 uh, next week. So, if the worship team had come out, I'd sure like to worship the Lord for a couple more songs and and then I'll close this up in prayer and we'll dismiss and we'll see you out in the courtyard for uh, some fellowship. So if the worship team would come forward, that'd be ter terrific.